11.30 service. You guys doing good today? Yes. Now, I appreciate James and Matthew and these guys all leading us in worship and prayer today. My name is Richie, our lead pastor here, and uh, I'm really excited for today. I believe God got you here for a reason and wants to speak to each of us. No matter if you know God or not, uh, he loves to meet you right where you are, reveal himself, his love, his grace, his truth to you. And, man, the, the love of God is just so compelling. Like, you can't escape uh, the love of God. And, and my hope and my prayer during this time is that his love would just become real for you and powerful for you and life-changing for each of us and that, uh, man, we would be a church that really experiences God in a real and a powerful way. None of us wants to just go through motions, do we? We don't want to just, like, check religious boxes. We actually want to see God move powerfully in this time together. And so I'm hopeful that your heart is expectant that way and, and ready to go today. Uh, I think you're going to need an extra dose of expectancy today because uh, we get to talk about money today. <laughs> hey, you, uh, you're winning, all right? Every other service, it was like pin drop moment, you know? Uh, um, <clears throat> no, it's one of those... Uh, Definitely uncomfortable conversations because money is very personal to each of us. And a lot of times religion doesn't affect our checkbooks and how we spend money. Yet God speaks of money so much in Scripture. Jesus talks about money almost more than anything else in all of his teaching. Can you believe that? If you accumulate it all together, it's number two on, on the list of things Jesus talks about most is money. And so that, that, to me, says, hey, the church needs to know what God thinks about money, like what our priorities should be with our checkbooks, how we should operate, um, what are the, the, the principles that govern money, how does God see it, how does he want us to see it, and not just go along with the world's, the world is preaching at you about your money all the time telling you how to spend it, where to spend it, what to do with it, what to think about it, how to go about it. And, and man, if we don't have any truth to anchor our hearts amidst all the preaching that is going on in your life, man, we are just a, a ship lost at sea. And I want so bad for us to be a people with purpose, with passion. We're on a mission together to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And that means every part of our lives is impacted by this mission to go, God, shape me for that purpose. We come in here ready to be empowered for that purpose, to walk out into this week shaped for the kingdom of God, purpose of God, that lives around us this week would actually be changed through us. And that's really the dream. And so we just make our hearts open. Okay, God, if we need to talk about money, let's talk about money, right? W whatever you want to shape in this life, let's shape it for your purposes. And, uh, man, the mission is worth it. Last, last week, two more people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, were baptized in water. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? We had David at the 8.30 service this morning, Seamus at that last service that we were just here together. Uh, lives are being changed around here all the time. And so, God, we are in. Whatever you want to change, shape in these lives, we are ready for that. Well, this conversation, I want, it's just going to be two weeks, this week and next week. And so I want you to grab your Bible. We're going to just pull apart one small passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, that's where we're launching out of this week and next week we'll kind of unpack part two of that passage. But uh, this is a passage that's really important for Jesus' church. It's written in the first century. It's written to a church in Corinth that had a lot of questions and a lot of problems. And I think about this ability that God has. His word stands true forever. No matter the culture, no matter the circumstance of life, the principles of God, the truth of God shapes 
people throughout all of human history. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, whole, how, how is this possible? Like, for the last 2,000 years, how much cultures have changed? Like, all we have is one little tiny American perspective of the last 2,000 years. <laughs> this world is enormous, isn't it? How many different people groups and, and, and languages and perspectives on priorities and cultural uh, values and things are just all, even just alive today on this planet. So many different perspectives. Yet God's word stands true in every single one of those cultures with all of those different priorities and ideas about God. Man, it is super powerful when you look at this written a couple thousand years ago to a church that was struggling with some questions. Paul lays a backdrop in chapter 8. I won't preach through chapter 8, but just help, uh, just help us understand this. There's a church in Macedonia, not far from the, the Corinthian church that he's writing to. And all through chapter 8, Paul is describing this church's excitement about being involved in a collection that is going on for churches in another part of the world that are struggling. And the Macedonian church is, is a church that's in a unique spot. They're, they're under severe affliction and extreme poverty. And yet they are begging the leaders of the church to be involved in the collection for the saints in these other cities. Think of this. The, the ingredients for why not to give financially are severe affliction and extreme poverty, wouldn't you say? I, I'm out, God. Like, I would love to give, but I can't afford it. My life is too hard right now. And yet these people in the Macedonian church are like, no, please. We want to be a part of the blessing of ministering to these churches in, the other, in another part of the world. Like, usually it's the opposite, right? Not, not the people begging the pastors for a chance to give. It's usually the pastors begging the people to, to, to be a part of giving, right? And I love this backdrop for this passage because Paul's like, hey, God's doing something in those Macedonians that I want you Corinthians to hear and see and taste. I want you to experience something powerful like this in your lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 is where we're picking up today. If you got your Bible, look at this with me. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's putting a principle out here for all of us to understand. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, Having all that you need, we're close. You will abound in every good work. Let me just read that verse again. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, God has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. This is how he has always designed his church to be scattered his gifts abroad to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I want to pray, ask God to help us with this passage. Lord, 
We need your truth to be alive in our hearts today. We need your wisdom to understand what you're saying to each of us personally, God. We need your courage. Lord, I know there's fear around money. I know there's a challenging economy right now. I know that there's um, a lot of distractions when it comes to our money and how to spend it, God. I pray you just make a way through all of that. You'd bring encouragement. You'd bring strength. You'd bring healing, God, where there's been hurt. You'd bring hope, God, to those that are really just discouraged about where money is. Lord, I'm just trusting you to speak in a powerful way in this time and that your word would come alive to each of us, Lord, and that your church would be unified, God. That you would give us just a passion, God, to see what could be when your church is who you call us to be, God. Make us real in all this, Jesus. We love you and we trust you in your name. Amen. This principle of giving financially in the church and church history has always been called a tithe, giving 10% of our income, the first 10%, giving it to the Lord. I learned this growing up. I was a church kid, and so I always heard this and talked about this and thought about this and was kind of terrified by this. And once God called me to ministry when I was 18, and I dove into Bible school and was learning how to be a pastor, um, this became real for me. I was working full-time, going to school full-time, interning um, like three days a week and trying to figure out how to pay for this very expensive private school. And um, the work that I did was an interesting work. It was, um, I was parking cars. I was valeting cars. And, and the thing about working that way is you are dependent on people to tip you to get paid. So you work really hard and some people might tip you a dollar. You work really not that hard at all and some people decide, well, you're worth given 20 bucks to. It was really inconsistent, and it was usually a buck or two. It did not, tips did not come in fives and tens. <laughs> Absolutely not. It was like ones and twos, usually. And so you're parking a lot of cars, you're running really hard, you're hustling during the busy times, and you are completely, I was completely dependent on people's generosity in order for these bills to get paid. Learning how to tithe, giving that first 10%, having money for food. When my wife and I first started dating, most dinners were like a, a Yo Play yogurt at Safeway that we would go on dates. And like, it was orange. I always liked orange for some reason. But that, I mean, that was like 83 cents, I think. That was like my dinner, right? And, 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 then, and then I had to pay for school. And it got to a semester where they weren't going to let me come back the next semester because I didn't have the previous one paid off. And they worked out a payment plan with me, and I had no idea how I was going to meet this payment plan, but I absolutely signed because I know God had called me to be there, and I was all in to see how God was going to provide. And, and this was just one of those moments where this mixture of like, oh, man, God, I know you want me to be here, but I have no idea how you're going to keep me here at this school. Inevitably, there would be kids in my classes that would, you know, we'd take prayer requests before class would start, and somebody would raise their hand. I just got a praise report today, teacher. Anybody heard that word, praise report? I'm like, praise report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like $4,000 check just showed up in my, my mailbox, and I just want to thank God today. And I was always like, God, where are you? <laughs> I would pray, and God would give me an extra shift at work. I was like, not the kind of provision I was hoping for, God. But he did. Week after week, Day after day, tithe, food, put all those tips in my top drawer, and I'd take them every Friday, and I'd put them in front of the cashier, and she would count them all out. 
My agreement was 500 bucks a Friday. I don't know how God did it, but every single week, every time I'd lay that wad of cash in front of that lady, she'd count it out, and it was $500 to the penny for eight Fridays in a row. And that moment for me was just a moment to solidify. There's something supernatural in this conversation. When we start talking about money, God has the ability to do something that you or I have no capacity for. When we work, we work, right? And, and you get paid an hourly or a salary, and it makes sense. That many hours equals that much pay. But when God gets involved, the math gets all fuzzy. And it gets really supernatural. And our stories, if, if we're not careful, we, we haven't invited God into our financial story. And we've just been doing it on our own. And this is Paul admonishing the church in Corinth to go, wait a second. I want you to understand that there's a principle at work governing your life. It's, it's what this series is called, sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you will reap. It's an agricultural picture. It's a farming picture. What you put in the ground is what's going to grow and produce a harvest. If you put in the ground kind of scarcity and, and, and a mindset of, of, I don't have enough, I won't have enough, uh, sparingly, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, if you put sparing into the ground, you're going to reap sparingly. If you put stinginess in the ground, you're going to reap scarcity. If you, if you sow in these kind of ways, that is what you are going to reap. It's a principle. It's like the principle, the, the law of gravity. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The older I get, the more I hate this law because it hurts more and everything feels it more. But that, that same kind of principle is sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. There's no, like, ignoring this principle. You can't just pretend like gravity doesn't exist, can you? You can't pretend like this principle doesn't exist. If, if you're going to so enjoy, like I get to be a part of something supernatural and God gets to do something supernatural with this thing that I am investing in, then, then you get to reap an overflowing joy. Like what a gift that we get to be a part of something where lives are being changed. Talking to marriages that are being healed right now. Lives that are being set free radically. Like, we get to harvest that kind of overflowing joy when we sow with that kind of joy in our heart. It's not just about the amount, but it's also about the heart, right? What you sow is what you will reap. The kind of heart and attitude, the, the amount of money, all of that is in, the, in this principle. And I, I really love this conversation because God is inviting us. God's not making you. God's not like, whew, boy, running low this month. <laughs> He's not. He's saying, hey, my people, they need to ex experience my grace and my love in their lives in a way that they've never maybe experienced before. They need to experience how faithful I am, how powerful I am, how crazy fuzzy math can be in their life. They need to experience the goodness of God working through them so that other people can experience. Here's something that's powerful about the sowing and reaping principle. is The farmer understands there's only so much he can do. You put it in the ground, pray for rain, 
the right amount of sunshine, the right amount of nutrients in the soil. But ultimately, God is the one that makes it grow. Hands are off for a farmer at this point. That is only God that takes that little seed, causes it to sprout roots, eventually put a shoot up, and eventually a stalk, and eventually fruit and grain, and even more seed on that, that stalk for the next season. Like, like God and God alone is the one that can make the growth happen. Like it is really all a matter of faith. And it's something that God is inviting us to experience. Proverbs 3, this same principle is worded a different way. In verse 9, Solomon writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor. I love that word, honor. It's choosing to make a decision that there is somebody higher than me that has an expectation on my wealth that I want to please with my wealth. The world will tell you, you live to please yourself with your wealth. God's principle is, no, no, no. I gave you that wealth. And, and I am expecting you to honor me with that wealth. How do you do that? With the first fruits of all your crops. First fruit, that's the principle of a tithe. It's your first and it's your best. It's 10% is a tenth. Tithe is that Bible word for this. For the first fruits of all your crops, again, we're in an agricultural analogy here. Then, I love this, sowing and reaping, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Same principle in play in the Old Testament here. Or look at Galatians chapter 6. Same principle, sowing and reaping, not speaking directly of finances, speaking of, of how we live our lives and the attitude that we carry. He says, do not be deceived. Same author, Paul, as 2 Corinthians 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You're not going to play games with God, is what he's saying. A man reaps what he sows. You will harvest what you put in the ground. Whoever sows to please their flesh, this is their sinful, self-centered nature. If you sow to please your flesh from the flesh, you will reap destruction, he says. It's like a warning, right? Whoever sows, though, to please the Spirit of God that, that is coming to live inside those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Whoever sows, uh, sorry, let us then become, not become weary in doing good. I love this. There's an encouragement here. It's like a farmer who puts a seed in the ground and has to wait. For at the proper time, at the harvest time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Sowing and reaping. It's a principle that you can't ignore. I think about it in, in these terms, like neutral, right? Like, sometimes when we think about our relationship with Jesus, I don't know how you think, but sometimes it could be tempting for me to think about it like um, go and neutral. I'm not stopped, God. Like, I'm not, I'm not disobeying you, but I'm getting around to obeying you. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's these places in our lives that we know what God is saying, but I'm not quite there yet. And it's like we want to shift the car into neutral, not forward into the things of God, into obedience to God's leading in our life. We want to try to hit neutral and hope that everything will be okay. And this principle of sowing and reaping says there is no neutral. You are either sowing in the flesh or sowing in the spirit. What you are putting in the ground is what you are reaping in your life, destruction or eternal life. And I, I just share this with us because it's like this, 
this governing thing that, that Paul is trying to get to the church here in Corinth that I believe for us as a church would just help us to kind of view the, the dollars that come through our lives from God's perspective. That's really what this conversation is about, As many of us haven't even considered what does God think about the money that's in my bank account. He has a lot to think and a lot to say about it. And so this is an invitation to bring God into it for each of us. I love how Paul continues in this passage. Look at verse 7 with me in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. I love this. It's a decision. He says, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's how a lot of people interpret this verse. Well, if I'm not cheerful, I'm not giving. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you make a decision in your heart, you remove reluctance and compulsion. The reluctance is, I have to give. The compulsion is, I feel guilty, so I better give. And you allow your heart to move into a cheerful place when you make a decision. The problem is we're driven by our emotions. And so I don't feel like giving. Of course you don't feel like giving. Right? Of course you don't feel like eating better either or, or, or feel like going for a run in the rain. But these are decisions that, that, that help us live according to God's perspective, God's design. Each man should make a decision about the dollars and cents. This is how you guard yourself from compulsion and reluctance in your heart. This is how you begin to bring about a cheerful heart, is by making this decision. Traditionally, throughout Scripture, this decision has always been a tithe. I mentioned it a couple times already this morning. A tithe is 10% of our income, returning it to the Lord. Believing that everything we have is from God, and what he asks of it, we give back to him. Malachi 3 is the, I would say, the authoritative passage on a tithe, God's perspective on it. The prophet in the Old Testament speaking to God's people on God's behalf. Verse 7, Malachi, God really says to his people, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? This is God saying, that I know the question in your mind already. How are we to return? And God says back to his people, well, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Objections come up in our minds. Wait a second. I'm not robbing God. How are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings, he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Here's what this passage tells us, is the way God views the tithe is his, not ours. And the curse comes when we view it as ours to do whatever we want to do with it. And God's going, hey, I want you to return, return your heart to me, return your attitude toward me, return your priorities to me, return back to me. How are we to do that? By bringing this tithe into the storehouse. I love this. That there may be food in my house. In this day, the local church is how we've always practiced storehouse. It's the local body that you are a part of. God intended that to be a place of, of provision and needs being met. Sound familiar, right? When we give here, we are able to bless so many people in need all around us. He says, bring all that food into the storehouse. And then he says this, test me in this. Only time in Scripture God says this. 
Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Here's that sowing and reaping principle again. Pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I wish my bank account had that problem, don't you? He says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. I love this picture. There's this, there's this curse on you. It's that feeling that the money is just slipping through my fingers. You know what I'm talking about. It gets more and more expensive all the time, and I have less and less, and I have no idea how I'm going to pay for it this time around. God's like, not only am I going to provide for you, but I'm also going to protect you from that. Just talking to somebody after last service been feeling compelled to tithe for quite some time during this sermon, last service, sitting there with um, the text to give, about ready to hit send, praying, because they knew that the mortgage payment is coming out, and they're going to be two, $300 short this week if they hit tithe on the send button. But all the while, God is just saying, trust me. This is what they just relayed to me, just in the lobby. And so, finally, they hit send right at the end of service. As soon as service is over, somebody three seats over from them, they don't know them at all, says, you know what? God just told me that you have some bills coming up that you need help with. Handed them $300 on the spot. And I think about this as just like a picture God's provision, but also God's protection. He says in Malachi 3.12, then all the nations will call you blessed. Like something's different about these people. Yours, your land will be a delightful land, he says. Like the place that you are, the people that you are, the stuff that you have, it's different. It doesn't own you. You're not stingy like everybody else. There's like a, there's an aroma about your life that's just different. God's going, this is the kind of people that I want you to have, the kind of people that I, I, I want you to experience, this kind of grace in your life, this love in your life, this, this aroma around you where people are like, wow, something is different about who you are and the way that God is working in your life. And for many of us, we, we just haven't invited God to be God in our finances because we've been convinced that we got to do it this is a conversation to go, wow, God, if there really is this principle of sowing and reaping that's governing my life, God, I don't want to sow in the flesh and in self-dependence and self-reliance. When I look back at those days in college, one of the things that struck me the most about it was I was kind of always an independent kid growing up. I was always making money. I was always paying for my own stuff, my own clothes. I was always kind of just like self-reliant. Didn't didn't need those parent people, you know, too, too much involved. I was just kind of doing my own thing. And it was like the first time ever in my life that I was dependent, where I was just overwhelmed by God's grace and his provision in a way that made zero sense. This fuzzy math just filled me with this confidence, like, God, you are my provider. It's not me that's figuring this all out. Sure, I wish the three or $4,000 check would show up in the mail like all those other kids got, but God, I'm content because this keeps me close to you. See, that's the thing about dependence. 
is it keeps us close to Jesus. Man, if we could just be figuring it all out on our own, making life work our way all the time, we would get to thinking that we're all arrogant and don't need God. But that's the central message of Jesus' church, is that we are all desperate and absolute need of the grace of God. I mean, that is the picture of, of sowing and reaping. God, God made a decision to love mankind. Think, talk about decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This is the heart of God. My people are lost and separated from me. They are stuck in sin and shame and guilt and condemnation, and the devil is owning their lives. And I, as their God, am not content to leave them in that lost and broken state. It is a debt that, that none of us could ever pay, but our God made a decision. He decided that while we were still sinners, he would send his son, Jesus Christ, as a savior for our sins. That he would send him to, to die in our place and take our sin and shame on himself. Nail it to that cross when Jesus went to the cross. Bury it in the grave when he went into the grave and then resurrect victorious over it when Jesus got up out of the grave. Like this is the framework by which we understand sowing and reaping right? That, that now at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because he was willing to sow his life on our behalf. He was willing to give himself so that we could be free from our sin. He, now he is reaping over and over this joy, this joy of knowing that lives are being set free, that people are being rescued out of hell, and that now his church is being called out of darkness into light so that we can declare his praises too. This is, the, this is the way that this whole conversation just settles in our heart. The generosity of God through his son, Jesus Christ, fills us with a grace that overflows. Freely you have received, so freely give, Jesus says. What you have received from me, what you pass on. I love this because we're not talking about a mean, vengeful, distant God that just wants your money. <laughs> We're talking about a God who gave up everything so that you could experience the life that he made you for. I love how Paul finishes this passage. God is able to bless you abundantly through life. Make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. See, there is a world that we live in that is waiting for the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus' plan from the very beginning has always been his church, his messengers, to share this good news with people around us. If our lives are tied up in knots financially, the aroma <laughs> is not one of cheerful generosity, but one of timidity and fear and anxiety around money. Maybe it's stinginess or 
manipulation around money. God is wanting to get this message of his grace in us as his church so he could get it through us to people around us. God has no other plan. It's always been his church. It's you. You are God's plan. You are his will. You are his desire. You are the way that God intends to get his grace to this world. There's not like some other secret agency out there waiting for us to screw it up, to swoop in and make the mission happen. It's us. So when we as a church reflect on this conversation, it's important for us just to go, wow, I'm pretty messed up, God. My money's a mess. My life's been a mess. I, I need you, God, in here somehow, some way to do something supernatural. And I really think that's all God's looking for is a heart that says, I'm in. I'm going to make a decision, and I, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I'm trusting that you are going to do it. And the way that God brings increase and the way that God supplies seed to the sower, the way that God enlarges the harvest, and that's up to God. But I love that we have an opportunity to be a part of something supernatural. He wants to enlarge the harvest of righteousness around you. You know what that means. Lives that were not right with God are now right with God. He wants to enlarge the harvest of salvation and lives being changed and people being transformed. And he wants to do it through you. He wants you to be a part of the experience of the miracle of what he is doing in this city and in this world. We have an opportunity today, an invitation from God himself. My hope is that your heart today will just have a simple question and, all right, where do I start with you? First is this, Jesus. Where do you start? With Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, that is the very first step for every single one of us. What does that mean? Recognizing that you're a sinner and you need salvation. Being cut to the heart, recognizing, oh God, I've been trying to save myself and make my life work my way. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your transformation. Jesus, I need a savior. And at that place of repentance, God promises to fill you with the spirit and begin to walk you toward the future that he has for you. But you don't got power unless you got the spirit of God inside you. That comes at this place of repentance. That's marked by baptism. I want to baptize you today. If you're at that spot, you know that you need a Savior. We want to walk with you. We've got shirts and shorts, towels, everything you need to take that step today. In a minute, we'll meet you in the back. Love to pray with you and help you take that step. The other thing I would encourage you with is this. Where do I start, Richie? You need some people in your life that are going to help you walk financially according to God's design. Maybe you need a, a group around here. Maybe you need to just meet with somebody and go, hey, my finances are a wreck. Just put on your card there, your connect card that says maybe get in a group or I need a, a, a friend. I need somebody to talk to about money. We'll get somebody to meet with you. Our team would love to do that. And lastly is this. It's a challenge. It's that card. I want you to grab it. It's on your seat. It says sowing and reaping. This is a challenge to us as a church. God says in Malachi 3, test me in this. I want to call you to the test. To make this very practical, I want to call you to commit to tithe 10% of your income 
for 90 days. Every paycheck, first 10%, we give it to God. And we trust that he is going to provide for us out of that 90%. And we're going to trust that his miraculous provision is going to show up in a powerful way. So here's, here's why this is together. Because individually, you have a choice to make, a decision to make in your own heart. But collectively, God is going to do something supernatural as we, as a church, all make this decision together. And so I want to call you to tithe for the next 90 days. Is there magic about 90 days? Not really. It takes about 21 to 28 days to create a new habit. And then you got to kind of reinforce that new habit. 90 days gives you three chances to reinforce that habit. Maybe that's the magic of it. I don't know. But what I want you to do is I want you to take this. I want you to put your info on it. Just name and phone number, email address. Don't put any dollar amounts on there. And this is really about a commitment, not about the dollar amount. That's between you and God. 10% of what comes in, you return to him. But as you make this commitment, I want to call you to put it in that box back there so that we can collectively begin to celebrate together what God is doing around you. We'll send it back to you, actually. Give it back to you as a reminder and a place of prayer for you. But man, I'm excited to see what happens individually and collectively as we all make this decision. So maybe you need to take this home and pray about it. Talk to your spouse about it a little bit more. But when you bring it back, we'll have these next week as well. I want to call you to make this commitment to tithe for 90 days. I'd like to pray for you today. Would you stand to your feet with me? Jesus, your church is so good. Your plan is so good, God. Every one of these people means so much to you, Jesus. Every story, God. Oh, Jesus. We need your love. We need your power in our lives. Some of us just wrestle with anxiety and fears, God, around our money. We're just asking you that these would be a 90 days of freedom, God, life transformation as we trust you. Some in this room, God, are just committing to you for the very first time today. Give them courage, God, to just surrender. Confess you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior of their life. Some just feel super alone in this, God. Just ask you to just bring the right people, the right group, the right friends, the right conversations, God, into their life to help them live according to your design and your standards, God. You're so faithful, God. We just love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Love you a ton, real life. If you are ready to be baptized, our team would love to meet you in the back right now. We've got everything you need to take that step. These guys are going to lead us in a time of worship. Just respond to the grace that God has poured out on your life. Let's sing together. Let's head to the back.